Every American is acutely aware of the issues surrounding our health care system. We know miracles can happen, but we find ourselves bombarded by conflicting information and are uncertain of what and whom we can trust. We have some of the best medical care in the world for those who can afford it. Incredible new drugs that change people's lives but can be very costly. Many of the best doctors the world has ever seen, but not all are perfect. That's why Dr. Steve Feldman created the show, Getting Better Health Care, to help walk us through the labyrinth, helping us understand how to take better care of ourselves and to better understand the challenges, issues, controversies, and complexities of our health care system as it exists and as it could be. For better health care and a better health care system, listen to the doctor. Now, here's Steve. Welcome to Getting Better Healthcare on webtalkradio.net. I'm your host, Dr. Steve Feldman, founder of the DrScore.com doctor rating website. We talked last week about how computers are revolutionizing healthcare, how electronic medical records can be used to improve patients' health at both an individual level and at a larger level to find out better ways of treating patients. Today, we're going to look at another aspect of how the Internet is changing healthcare. It's the very exciting topic of social media. You know, Facebook, Twitter, the way people are communicating and forming communities. How will this help medical care? Well, to speak to us about this, we have dermatologist Dr. Jeff Bonabio. He practices in San Diego, California. He's a partner at Kaiser Permanente there. And he's involved in lots of non-professional and medical social media. Jeff, it's, it's so great to talk to an old friend about this very new and exciting topic in, in medicine. So why don't you start by telling our listeners what is meant by social media? Social media is really just uh, using the Internet as a means to interact with and communicate with other people. So it's, uh, it is a way of sort of taking conversations that uh, prior to the time that we had these tools that would take place in real life when you talk to somebody, share ideas, share stories, and it's taken that to a place where you can do that online through a hundred different sites and tools but uh, essentially accomplish the same thing, have a conversation, share information, share stories with other people. What are some of the, the more common tools that are, are used for this? Uh, the two that are, are far and away the most popular are Facebook and Twitter. And uh, those two sites, I think Facebook probably has over 500 million people who are subscribed to it, and uh, Twitter is somewhere over 100, 100 million people uh, who have subscribe to and at one point in time uh, play around with these tools. Okay. Now, uh, you know, for an old guy, you know, I you know, I feel reasonably computer literate. I feel like I have no understanding whatsoever why somebody would tweet. It just uh, what what is the um the value in that tool? It's funny because uh, almost everyone when they first start Twitter feels the same way. This is a complete waste of time until they do it for a while. And uh, you realize that uh it there's a, a basic human need to just communicate and interact and um, connect with other people. So when you take 100 million people and you put them in a room together, 
you might think, well, why do I want to be here? What possibly could I have to do with what's going on here? But it turns out that over time, the longer you're there for, the more you find conversations that you find interesting. People who you never would have met outside of something like Twitter, who now you meet and interact with on a regular basis. So uh, there's a lot of the mundane that's uh, posted on Twitter. You know, I'm eating my lunch. I'm doing a podcast with Dr. Steve Feldman sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, But uh, some of that it turns out, even though it's mundane, is interesting depending on who's saying it and where it's coming from. And then uh, a lot of it is actually pretty profound. People having uh, intellectual conversations about, you know, whether we should build a mosque at uh, Ground Zero or whatever else happens to be important topics of the day that you could talk to and interact with other people from all over the world. Now, that that sounds great. I understand with Twitter you get to your message length is limited to, what is it, six, seven words at a time? It's 140 characters. 140 characters, and you're going to have an intellectual conversation um, going back and forth at 140 characters? So, uh, part, you know, part of it is that, that and I think this is part of the appeal, is that it's a bit of a game, right? Because you, you, you're exactly right. It, it is difficult to have a conversation with that limitation, but it turns out that you get pretty skilled at uh, using a paucity of words and uh, abbreviations when necessary to try to get your point across. Uh, we're still using that uh, that format. I guess that it, brevity is there's an expression about brevity, and I guess it's a good thing. All right. It's, yeah, even at 140 characters, you'd be amazed how wordy people can be. Yeah. So, um, and, and so there's the advantages of Twitter over basic uh, email for communication. It's a completely different form of communicating because. With uh, Twitter, it's it's public, so it's almost like if you just turned your your email public, and so almost anybody can see what it is that you're writing about and messages that are that are sent to you. So whereas email is very specific and direct, you're sending a message to communicate something to a specific person. Twitter is more just a listen. I'm hanging out in the coffee shop. Let's see who else is in the coffee shop right now, and I'll just talk to them and find out what's happening with them or share an interesting story with them. All right, so we have Facebook and Twitter, we have websites, we have email, we have blogs. Um, how are these being used in medicine? Is it, is it revolutionizing medical care? I don't think so yet. This is not, I, I think, as much about uh, improving care as in like our technical skill as physicians. Rather, it's about uh, bringing together physicians as part of a larger community of everybody else that is patients and consumers and administrators and everybody else who participates in these very public forums. So it, uh, it, it doesn't necessarily uh, help us to uh, be better doctors, but it does help us to connect much better with uh, the whole reason why we do this, you know, that is our patients. Well. I would say connecting with our patients would be the foundation of good medical care. So I'm enthusiastic for, for, for what this means to our, the technical outcomes of care. You know, some of the things I, I see happening are websites that can provide, you know, Dr. Create a website that provides an online library of patient handouts so that every patient, whatever their condition is, gets um, up-to-date information. Um, and there's a company that's working with, I know, dermatologists and some other specialties about providing that kind of online library, and I, mm-hmm. I'm going to remember it in a little bit. Um, uh, blogs for doctors to get out, 
um, information they want. For example, when when we saw that that drug for psoriasis was associated with severe brain infections, Reptiva, and Mm -hmm. and, uh, patients, if you had patients on it, boy, it'd be nice to have a way of getting the information out to your patients right away. Mm -hmm. If your patients uh, were all following you on Twitter, I mean, I imagine that, or Facebook for that matter, that would be a very efficient way of connecting, communicating important information to patients. So there's, uh, that is part of it, in that uh, social media tools allow you to disseminate information very quickly because it's, it's sort of exponential. If I have 5,000 people who follow me on Twitter and each of those 5,000 people has 100 to 10,000 people, you can see how a message exponentially can be shared uh, amongst everybody if the information is important. And you'll see that all the time whenever there's important news. You know, when uh, Michael J., if you consider Michael Jackson when he died important, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that basically that story was broke by uh, Twitter. I mean, and it, it was disseminated to millions of people far in advance of when the news media outlets got a hold of it you know, because Jeff, of that reason. You know, my so son for, wants to be a journalist, and you're making me feel like there's no future for him. Yeah, it's, journalists are uh, are a bit concerned because it it is interesting. And in fact, even if you if you look at, for example, a site like the New York Times, which is you know the consummate traditional journalistic site, it's now very social. You'll notice that uh, there's a place where you sign in and where you can recommend stories and share stories and comment on stories amongst your cohort of friends on the New York Times. So, what I think is happening is is not that journalism will go away, but that it will become much more socialized or uh, consumer-based, and in our case in medicine, patient-focused, as opposed to just being hierarchical where it's this is the news and we'll distribute it to you when we want to and and how we want to. It's You know, one of the ways I think community has been important to my patients is when they have a condition like psoriasis, to know what other people with the condition are going through. And, you know, I was always encouraging patients join the patient advocacy group. It seems like these tools are ideal for patient advocacy groups to establish greater, a greater sense of community. It, uh, you're absolutely right. In fact, probably some of the most popular sites for patients uh, in these social media settings are these uh, patient communities where the patients quickly realize that this is it meets an important need is to be able to interact with other patients on their terms so that uh, they only give information that they're comfortable sharing with other people uh, and not violating any of their own privacy rights uh, but that, that it's very helpful along the same model as like uh, alcoholics anonymous or any other where when you have a group and you, you share common problems and, and common goals, that uh, as a group you could do much better than if you fight that out on your own. Well, Jeff, I know you are um, a big advocate and participate in, in many forms of, of social media and, and medical social media. Um, let me have you um, describe to our listeners some of the, the concrete things you are doing. And um, let me ask... Um, is it all a one-way street, or is it a two-way street? Do, 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 the, do people get to, to uh, respond back to you? Absolutely. And, in fact, that's uh, the most important part of it, in that uh, I can uh, simply dispense information on how to treat poison ivy, for example, and that doesn't have nearly as much impact or reach as when I engage in a conversation about how people treat their poison ivy. So 
social media is very much um, uh, invites everyone to join in the conversation and does not necessarily mean that it is uh, led by just one person. So if you have something important and interesting to say, then uh, that tends to get circulated. However, it's most important to just listen to what everyone else is talking about and join in that conversation and help participate in that conversation, maybe answer questions that other people ask of you. So that's, I do that a lot when I interact on uh, Twitter or Facebook. I'll ask open-ended questions about, for example, I just asked today, uh, do people use organic beauty care products and why? And you get very interesting responses and conversations about why people choose beauty care products uh, that are organic. And, uh, and you, you, uh, it gives me an opportunity to educate them, but then also to learn from them. You're listening to Getting Better Healthcare on webtalkradio.net. We're speaking today with Dr. Jeff Bonabio. He's a dermatologist in San Diego, California. He's a partner at, the, at Kaiser Permanente, and he's involved in many medical social media. In fact, his Twitter handle is simply DermDoc, D-E-R-M-D-O-C. I have a sense that, um, that many doctors... Um, what, well, they could have given out their cell phone number in the past. They could have given out their email address. Maybe they're reluctant to do that. Um, I think they're they're afraid that somehow this is going to overwhelm their time. Perhaps they're going to be ending up giving out a lot of advice for free and 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 not find any re- reimbursement for their time for doing this. Are those issues even greater with social media, or does social media somehow make these less problematic? No, they're even greater. You're absolutely right. And that uh, there is, I think, the biggest problem with social media for physicians is exactly that, that is time commitment. There really isn't a very good way directly to be reimbursed for engaging in these activities. There are indirect ways for sure, and I can mention that uh, briefly later. But the idea that it's hard enough just to deal with all of your patients, your notes, and then uh, try to settle up all your phone calls at the end of the day, let alone have to deal with now, you know, emails and then interacting with people on social media sites. So I think it's important that physicians and patients realize that social media is really not a place to practice medicine. So there's, there really should not be any direct patient physician relationships on social media because by their very nature they're they're public so they are places to interact as communities with physicians and patients but not directly where that would need to be done only through secure email which we have here at Kaiser Permanente or through uh, phone calls or in-person visits that uh, constitute a direct physician patient relationship type environment mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, people say email is, uh, to some extent, not really social media because that can be uh, very secure and private and individualized. And it's one of the things that we do very well here at Kaiser Permanente is use email to interact with our patients, which is a direct um, uh, patient-physician relationship. So. Yeah, you know, I've had patients email me photographs and things, and I guess you wouldn't want them putting the photo books, their photographs on Facebook it, for you to exactly look at. That's exactly right, and that does happen. It comes to direct medical care that has to be done, taken off offline. It has to be done privately and in a situation that's appropriate for us to be able to uh, make 
diagnoses and then to treat people directly and be responsible for their care. I think one of the more basic things we can do is educate patients about new treatment options. And in a sense, that becomes a form of marketing for us is, is what doctors, um, the things that doctors are going to do with social media, is it going to be a big form of marketing for doctors' medical practices? It, that, that is a place where it is appropriate. And uh, that is a place where physicians can get sort of a return on investment for their time uh, that they participate in social media is that most private practice physicians and even group practice uh, have websites to attract patients. And social media is a very good way to drive traffic and traffic that is patients and customers to your website because uh, nowadays we know that, you know, companies are stopped Printing white pages and uh, yellow pages might soon go that same way that uh, in order to be found, you really have to have a presence online. And uh, search engines can only give you so much traffic that a lot of it has to be dynamic, that you're engaged in the community, and that the Internet itself finds a way to, to funnel people back to you um, by you being active in social media. And in fact, for me, it's, uh, it's brought tremendous opportunities in the last few years that I've done this. I have patients all the time who call Kaiser Permanente from New York City and uh, other parts of the world saying, we'd really like an appointment with a Dr. Bonabio, which the only way they possibly could have found out about me is uh, because they interacted with me someplace in a social media space. I think it is attractive. It's certainly attractive to the people who are using it to be to be involved in, in, in the messages you can get out to patients. I, I've, I've seen them since we're, you know, friends on Facebook, and um, I, I th- think you do a, a fabulous job doing this now, and I wonder where it's going to go. I feel like this is the kind of thing where we are just scratching the surface of maybe where we're going to be five, ten years down, maybe even just two years down the road. Well, it's. It, I think... What will be interesting is that it really won't be up to us that much. It's sort of up to the community as to where our role will be as physicians and as healthcare providers. And uh, my fear is that if we uh, just ignore it, say that we don't have time for it, that it's not appropriate for us, then we'll be completely left out. Because there are many non-physician providers who are very active in social media and have a great presence and, uh, and to some extent are usurping what our roles should be. Mm-hmm. So by at least saying we're here, we're willing to participate, and then I think the community will sort of decide where you know how best to interact with us, how best we can help people and uh, communicate with people and these uh, using these tools. Well, Jeff, you've been um, so generous with your time. Uh, the last two things I want to cover with you is: uh, are there any specific things you think are going to be different, driven by the doctors in the future? Um, where we're using social media, and then any any final suggestions you have for our listeners about their health or healthcare in general? I think that uh, once doctors realize, you know, that this is important and that this can uh, benefit them in the community as their role as uh, physicians and uh, can actually benefit their practices and help their patients, that they'll find a way to become more active, even whether that's, you know, using the assistance of surrogates and other people to help them. Uh, publish content and things like that online, and that uh, over time uh, you, you'll see, you know, there are some models like uh, the Mayo Clinic where they've done an absolutely brilliant job of 
uh, encouraging their physicians to create things. And that's what I think you'll start seeing more of is physicians creating podcasts just like you're doing here, uh, Steve, and uh, videos and other content that uh, patients can use and share and uh, ultimately benefit from. Yes. So that's the main thing. Yes, I think we're all going to have iPads in our office. And yeah, before I you have a biopsy, you'll watch you know, a video of one being done so you have truly informed consent. Um, hopefully people will take that iPad and use it to rate the doctor before they leave the practice on one of those doctor rating websites like the, the Doctor Score site that I founded. Um, and then, um, and then I'm hopeful that maybe we could just automatically email people all the um, instructions about their disease and the medication, so that they they don't leave the office and forget what we told them to do. Yeah, we we do that now here at Kaiser Permanente. In fact, uh, and it's a fantastic system. Just wow. about every patient who leaves gets a handout, and then uh, they can email me anytime and uh, get more information on whatever it is that their disease is. That's super. You have any final words of wisdom for our listeners? I, I don't, and uh, I appreciate your mentioning that uh, my, on Twitter that DermDoc, if uh, people are interested and want to uh, join in in the conversation, I'm there, and I try to write pretty regularly at, uh, at a blog, which is the Derm blog, uh, simply, and it's the, the, the dermblog.com, where I write about interesting sort of skin care issues and then invite people to join in that conversation as well. I, I would encourage my listeners to do both those things. If you Twitter, uh, you want to be... Um, tweeting with Jeff at DermDoc, <laughs> and uh, you, uh, I'm sure that Jeff being um, one of the innovators and leading users of medical social media, uh, his blog is the, is, must be fascinating, not to mention his skill with dermatology. Uh, Jeff, thank you so much for being on the show today. It was my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Well, social media may not have changed medical dr- care dramatically yet, but I have a suspicion that before long, social media will change medical care in ways that, as of yet, we don't recognize. The, the, the way Facebook and Twitter have become so popular so quickly, I just feel like we're just scratching the surface of what they're going to do. I think Jeff makes the good point that maybe they aren't going to be used for direct medical care issues. Maybe they will, but I think they certainly will energize communities of people and perhaps patient advocacy groups will be energized through this as people become more and more interconnected uh, in greater, um, larger, wider circles. Uh, This is going to change what happens in the future. If you want to follow it, I suggest... You follow Dr. Bonabio. Uh, his Twitter handle is DermDoc, D-E-R-M-D-O-C. And he's the author of The Derm Blog, T-H-E-D-E-R-M-B-L-O-G. You can follow my blog on the drscore.com website. Well, that's our program for today. Next week, we'll be speaking about the potential for conflicts of interest between drug companies and academic medical centers. Our theme music today was by the incomparable Michael Zioli. Until we speak again, I wish you the best of health. Thanks for listening to the show today. Remember to go to DrScore.com to get and give feedback about your doctor and to read others' recommendations about doctors in your area. It's a way to choose your path to health care empowerment. 
That's D-R-S-C-O-R-E dot com. DrScore.com. And we'll see you next week right here on Getting Better Healthcare.